Um, it was a comparison test of the 996 Turbo, NSX, Ferrari 360, and R34 GTR. And basically they said the 911 Turbo is the best performing of the bunch in mm -hmm. all conditions, but mm -hmm. the NSX was the most fun to drive. everybody well this was the the uh kind of part two to last week's part one of jdm cars and jdm the weird wonderful and non-volvos uh yes volvos famously not japanese famously not japanese a different although, country although apparently a popular modification for v70rs is a manifold made in japan so there's your volvo japan uh connect section yeah i also okay. knew someone who only insisted on buying right-hand drive cars and he bought a right-hand drive 245 I've seen a few right-hand. No, drive. seven forty-five. Sorry. I've seen a few right-hand drive eight fifty Rs for sale, mm. all automatics because that's what they were. Japan. No, I thought they were just all automatics in general. No, there, there. You could get manual oh, yeah, eight fifty yeah, yeah. Rs and eight fifty T fives. So a lot of people well, swap the automatic Rs with the transmission from a T five. Well, anyway, welcome. Uh, as you guys know, this is restricted performance. I'm Ross. I'm Maddox. And, Good to uh, be back. And we're back. And we're back. Uh, and we wanted to finish off kind of a part two of this. Uh, it might be more of an abridged discussion, but yeah. just really to, to discuss where we left off. Yeah, my, so my colleague James wrote a really good article a few weeks ago talking about how the R34 GTR sort of signals the end or the peak passing of, uh, of sort of the JDM import craze. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting for a number of reasons that we'll get into but he basically argues that because of market conditions and other factors you know the late 80s through the 90s were really the weirdest and coolest japanese cars and really since then into the 2000s stuff calmed down a bit and we got a lot of the cars that um that japan made that were the best mm -hmm. stuff like you know s2000s um 350z's R35, GTR, etc. Right, and for those that don't know, right, so the reason that we really never got a lot of these cars is, besides the fact that they were never crash-tested or emissions-tested for the U.S. market, was uh, something called the 25-year rule, a.k.a. the, I don't remember the technical term, slash official HR designation from the, uh, from the U.S ledger or whatever it is the u.s code I've, I've received a few official hr designations uh, okay um <laughs> uh no the the real the deal was this is that you know in the 80s mercedes saw that uh, a lot of people were essentially um saving about 20 percent on the purchase price of their cars by going to europe buying the car and bringing it over here these were the gray market laws. Great. These were called gray market cars um, because it was kind of an in-between. It was legal to do it, um, but the OEMs really frowned upon it. And in many cases, it got so severe that uh, OEMs would deny service, cancel warranties for trying to bring these cars over. Yeah. Uh, a famous story that uh, was that Reagan's chief staff, chief of, I think, not chief of staff, but his staff, yeah, his, uh, his team his all te went over to Germany and they all came back with orders for brand new BMWs. Mercedes and Mercedes, yeah, yeah. both of them. So uh, pretty cool in that sense. But, you know, from a business perspective, you know, it got as, 
it got to the point where it got so bad it was fifty to 60,000 cars a year in the early to mid-80s. Um, yeah, and, and the U.S. wasn't happy because they feel it's hurting our economy and our domestic manufacturers. Right. Neither of the foreign manufacturers are pissed because they're losing out on revenue. Right. Domestic manufacturers didn't make as much of a stink as the OEMs did from Europe. Um, and Mercedes was the spearhead on this. So bottom line, you know, where does this, what does this mean for JDM cars? Well, during the Reagan administration, the 25-year rule was passed, meaning a vehicle that was not natively sold in the United States had to be 25 years or older from the date of manufacture uh, to be legal in the United States and to not require homologation, meaning no crash testing, no emissions testing, none of, you know, did not need to be CARB certified. Although actually, I shouldn't say that. Uh, in the case of JDM cars now, they do have to meet BAR testing if you want to fully make them Cali legal. Yeah, of, if you want to register in California, it's going to have to pass a smog test ultimately. Yeah. Uh, and, and in other states, you know, now there's kind of a, a war on K cars. So, but that's a whole other story for a little bit later. Um, but, you know, we know that the majority of, you know, 1999 is the last year of, um, of golden era JDM cars. Well, right? yeah. I mean, not, not quite. It's, it's the first year of the R34 GTR. So right. there's still some. You know, well, the beginning of GTRs the beginning of the that end. are going to trickle in. Yeah. But in terms of being the beginning of the end, it's also like everybody's kind of hip to it at this point. So in yeah. 2013, you know, when the earliest stuff from the 90s was kind of coming in, is my 2015 my math off? 2015. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like around, give or take, like eight to ten years ago. Yeah. This stuff was starting. I mean, you could get R34, R32 GTRs. For like thirty grand, twenty to thirty, 20 to 30, 30 grand. grand would buy yeah. you a nice one. That changed um, pretty quickly. I mean, I mean, Doug and Farah were hip to that, yeah, yeah. but there wasn't like a whole as as Ryan Zumalin talks about in the Cult of GTR book. There wasn't mm -hmm. like a whole infrastructure built up around it in the U.S. yet. I mean, I remember the famous story of Farah taking his GTR to to the Nissan dealer, and they're like, "We'll take a crack at this, <laughs> but yeah. we don't know what." Yeah, we never worked on one of these. Sure, why not? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I love that's a vote of confidence. I mean, so, people you know. were who were in the know knew about these things and had been maybe waiting for them, saving up. But it wasn't this whole. I mean, Instagram was nascent at the time. It wasn't anywhere near as big as it is today. In you know, 2012, 2013, 2015, mm -hmm. the the culture. It is not that it wasn't global, but you. It was kind of an if you know you know thing and for every gtr there you know for every wouldn't be 2024 if you didn't make an if you know you know reference for every you know fifty sixty thousand dollar hundred thousand dollar gtr there was a six thousand dollar subaru sambar or a six thousand dollar um beat. honda acti or honda beat so yeah. there was sort of this affordable subculture to it an affordable element to it and now as we've gone through the years i mean I think beats are still okay. I mean, beats are still relatively stagnant on price. Yeah, but you I know, mean, they're still affordable stuff you can get. But yeah. like an R thirty four GTR, if you don't already have one that's been hanging out in a hundred eighty grand, more two fifty. Yeah, I mean, depends on the model. But but yeah. if if you don't have one that's been sitting in a warehouse in Japan for, a few, I mean, basically. People, These cars are getting you know, imported here and they're getting taken out of the hands of collectors in Japan who want them. So yeah. now that it's a global market, you know, 
a lot of people in Japan are upset about all these cars being exported to the highest bidder. Yeah, that's also why you never see any Hakoskas, you know, the original GTRs, right? The original first-gen GTRs from the 70s. Besides the fact that they're rare, they also were never really galvanized. So, of course, Japanese cars had notoriously thin and rust-prone steel, right? Um, so, at any rate... <clears throat> You know, that's also the reason you don't, just don't see a lot of them here. Yeah. Because, and it's because cons- collectors have really locked them down in Japan. Well, and it's yeah. also considered unpatriotic at this point to export a Hakoska GTR because yes. of how, you know, how few survive and how it really is a symbol of, like, the Japanese auto industry's rise to prominence. Basically. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, with that said, right, so we, we know all the big JDM cars that are popular now. Obviously, right-hand drive Supra's were something of a bargain, probably just pre-pandemic. I would argue they've kind of started to... I haven't done any real uh, pricing research in a little while, but I'd argue that they're probably starting to come up to... Mark IVs? Mark IVs. You know, I mean, the, Mark IVs, I feel like, have always No, been no, expensive. I mean the right-hand drive ones were on the cheap side for the U.S. market because okay. people could buy left-hand drive ones here. Yeah. And why, why go through the inconvenience? But a lot of people were willing to put up with the right-hand drive nonsense because it was, you know, it was... In some cases, half the price. Well, I think I just saw an automatic... I'll link the the auction mm-hmm. in the bio or in mm-hmm. the description. But sure. I'm pretty sure I just saw a right-hand drive automatic NA Mark IV go for like 35 grand. So maybe yeah. not cheap anymore. Yeah, no, not anymore. But, you know, and, and even that's true today. Like NA cars, people are converting them into turbos and, and all kinds of stuff. So... You know, it's it's interesting to watch, but we know, you know, NSX, all those cars have popped like crazy. Like NSX to me, it's a great car. Is a hundred thousand dollar driving experience? I don't think so. Um, I mean, in the day, and I just watched, by was, the way, a yeah. best motoring comparison from two thousand two or two thousand three. Which screaming young Japanese woman was in it? None. Okay. Um, okay. Never mind. A lot, a lot of dudes, but um, it was a comparison test of the nine nine six turbo. NSX, Ferrari 360, and R34 GTR. And basically they said the 911 Turbo is the best performing of the bunch in Mm -hmm. all conditions, but Mm -hmm. the NSX was the most fun to drive. The 360, they were like, yeah, it sounds great, but dynamically it had a few things to work out. They liked it. They didn't love it. Um, And the R34 GTR, they basically said, look, this is a sedan-based GT car. Mm -hmm. It is fast you know it has good traction it handles okay but it was the worst handling out of those four because it was not you know ground up two-seat sports car nissan's answer was always to solve through technology right for sure yeah for sure and and the car has attained this sort of icon status but it was really interesting to see in the period review how you know compared to those other three cars which admittedly are two-seat more so-called pure sports cars it really didn't stack up yeah. at least in terms of handling an fdr x7 to a gtr for example i mean the fd is so much lighter has less power but it is it's 2500 pounds 2600 yeah. pounds i mean it's ridiculous but they like the yeah. nsx more than the 360 and the 911 all those subjective. best motoring all those best motoring episodes i just think of like a guy in an NSX Type R somehow keeping up with like a Diablo or an F50. And I'm like, what is, what? Basically. Either they can't drive or I don't know physics. And so. then they were disassembled. They were basically taking the 911 apart in a Porsche service bay that they had rented for the afternoon. Mm-hmm. They were like t- taking wheels off, like disassembling 
intercool like not intercoolers but they're like taking parts off of it to like see where the cooling yeah. system meets it was uh, I love, I love competitive research isn't that something guys. i remember those days when we were in the engineering labs at fca but anyway um so yeah so that brings up the question right so i mean i wouldn't say that the japanese market is exhausted i mean i think one of the interesting things that's come out of the japanese market uh and and they're certainly not cheap anymore but they were initially a lot of german cars came out of the japanese market and the collector market right they yeah. were getting dumped on the market just pre-pandemic um, even now, still, you can still find them. You know, famously, Porsche's big dealer was Mizwa, or Mizawa, sorry. Uh, uh, and that, you know, someone is screaming into the void about that. Um, but uh, Mizawa was the big kind of Porsche dealer over there, and and, uh, and and a lot of 964s and 993s came out of that. 964. Yeah, I know. Easy killer. Four corpses. Uh, I know, I know. Paul Zuckerman is an excellent attorney and also apparently good comedian. We're not sponsored. By We're not Paul sponsored. Zuckerman. We're not Carpenter sponsored. Zuckerman attorneys at law. We're not sponsored. I'm going to get that rug for you, though. Um, so <laughs> To cover up the blood stains oh, in my apartment. Oh edit that out um <laughs> so uh but you know bmw too right a lot of great 80s alpinas and cool stuff has come out of japan just because japan you know one of their weird policies i think this is how it works is that they basically have such an increasing amount of road tax uh year over year to get old cars off the road and to kind of support the locally grown auto industry there Right. That they kind of penalize you each year you keep an old car on the road. Same in so, Singapore and Hong Kong as well. Right. So, uh, which I find funny for Singapore. Well, Singapore just likes penalizing people. Singapore is also an because. island and it's really space constrained. So. That's fair. Um, so, at any rate, the, 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 it's interesting to see some of the, even the non-JDM stuff that's come out of it. But the big question is, you know, uh, what's, what's next for... Um, I guess for Japan, not just Japan, but I mean, what's next in general for, you know, JDM cars that come in the future and what's the next kind of big import craze, uh, either from Japan or for elsewhere. Yeah. And will this, will this infrastructure that's been propped up really in the last 10 years in the U S around importing legally, um, these cars, is that going to survive and is that going to be repurposed or is this whole industry just going to have to shift or pivot to something else? Well, I think about it a lot, right? You know, Top Rank, for example, is, a car, is, a, is an import company that's mentioned a lot in the Cult of GTR book and they still exist today. They're probably the preeminent, besides like Japanese classics in Virginia and a few others, um, the preeminent importer uh, and the import guys, I think they're out of... Seattle, maybe um, the preeminent importer of J- JDM cars, right? And so, question is like, what's next? I don't know of great JDM cars from the two thousands besides like the S fifteen. Yeah, I mean, you you're gonna have some like late model NSXs, like final like edition RX sevens, and if there are like O five, you know, NSXs that are pristine that are hanging out in Japan, those yeah. will probably bring a pretty penny. But, I mean, a lot of this has been tapped, and I think, you know, the Japanese are a very proud culture, and I, I would probably think, you know, f- as much as they have the means to and the control over it, they may 
sort of start clamping down or becoming more reluctant to export these things as the supplies continue to dwindle. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or at the very least, stuff will get more expensive. You know, in the R34's case, right, they only made it for three years. Right. 99 to, to 02. 02. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not very, you know, there was there wasn't... It wasn't, it's, it's like the 993 in that regard. They only made it for three years, 95 to 98 or 94 to 90. No, 95 to 98. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's it. And and like the Lotus Amira will be supposedly, you know, that's 2023, 24, 25, 26, and it's done, apparently. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's whatever. I'm not going to comment on Lotus's plans because they're not Lotus anymore. But anyway, um, they are a unit of Geely now, which is a whole other story. But anyway, Geely, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I think some of the things that are going to come out of not just Japan, I mean, I think Japan in general, I mean, for example, what's interesting to me in future classics is that Japan is a real source of European cars as well as, you know, I touched on it earlier with BMW Porsche, but like, I still see things like 40 E46 CSLs. Those I see coming to market, not just yeah, from Europe, I don't but also think, there too. I don't think necessarily from Japan. I mean, you have to remember both, Japan, both, Japan's yeah. a small yeah, yeah. country. It is... Yeah. A little bit more, um, I mean, parts of it have less rust than, right. you know, Germany and Northern Europe. Yeah. But, I mean, I think we'll, there is 2000s European stuff that's really interesting that yeah. we didn't get here. Like yeah. you said, the M3 CSL E46. I mean, the transmission is kind of... only, but you can tune them. You and, can change the transmission, too. Although some people... Well, I don't think people are cutting up $200,000 CSLs to no, change the No, there's a company... They're not two hundred grand. Um, there's a company in in the UK called Everything M... or every, It used to be called Everything M3s. I think it's now just Everything M's or something. Mm-hmm. And they do conversions on them. And it's actually preferred because the SMG... I don't care what people say. The SMG is a dog shit transmission. Well, you gotta, it was 2003, 2004. I mean, this thing was cutting edge. It was just like how at the time... Yeah, but the, D, know, the DSG was unveiled at the same time. So it proved there was a better way. But, it, you know, at the time, everybody wanted E-Gear on their Gallardo and F1 on their 360 or their 430 because that was what you saw in racing and motorsport. Uh-huh. And that was what was next. And if you turn the clock back 20 years, of course... You know, you would tell everybody getting a Gallardo in 04 to get the manual because it's less maintenance and it's more fun to drive. But, you know, 20 years ago, they didn't know that manuals would become an endangered species imminently. No, 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 no. So they were just trying to go with what they saw, you know, Lewis Hamilton driving or Schumacher driving. Schumacher, you know, Hamilton was still in carts, maybe, or something, or F2. Um, So at any rate, F2 probably. Uh, so yeah, you know, Clio V6 is another one I think of, you know, as much as I am conflicted on French cars, some of them are quite good. Some of them are quite awful. Uh, the Clio V6 is like a mid-engine. They look awesome. They do. They do look awesome. You know, cool car, interesting car. There was the phase one and the phase two. Um, I think the phase one was about a 230 horse, three liter V6. And then I think they went up to either a, I thought they kept it a three liter. They may have gone to a three two. Yeah, it's a. It was a two nine for uh, for all of. Oh, yeah, was it a two, two, two a nine liter? Two nine four six cc. So I think they down. they called it a three liter though. They sure. Put, they put, I mean, yeah. the French are known for creative math. So. Mon Dieu. Uh, but yeah, and then they went up to two hundred and fifty five horsepower. I think at the in the phase twos. Also, the phase twos are less deadly to drive. Apparently, the phase ones are very very prone. I think early Top Gear. 
They drove a phase one and it was really prone to like spinning. <laughs> and they're pretty and, like, rare. I mean, they yeah. have, the entire production run was like sub 3,000 cars between phase one and phase two. I also got to believe like it was a very niche product, right? Like you literally, I mean, the amount of engineering they did, instead of just making a sports car with this engine, they decided, no, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to take a crappy economy car. And we're going to take the engine out well, of the, the front. The wasn't crappy. It was pretty good for its time. Whatever. An average economy yeah. car. Okay. It was French, so who knows. Um, but it was, you know, and put the engine in the back and, like, instead of, like, I just... And I love them for... I mean, they have a history of doing it with I the... I know, with the Turbo you know, the 2. Turbo 5. Turbo and Turbo 2, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with the Renault 5 Turbo. Yeah, so, I mean, it was a cool car, but uh, they're interesting to me. I'm told that there's there's... They're not really for tall people because you can't move the seat back because the engine's behind you. I hadn't considered uh, that. You know, but um, they're kind of cool. Uh, other Renault sports stuff, right? You got the Twingos. They had the the ones, I think the, the, the Clio 172 and 182, the kind of high-revving Clios. Clio Williams, which were kind of the early 90s uh, tribute to F1. If you're an F1 fan, you know, that was kind of the Nigel Mansell, Ayrton Senna era. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously Peugeot with the 205 GTI. We did get the 405 MI16 here. There's some weirdo in Larchmont near me who owns like an MI16. And I I don't really understand that. That guy's like living, uh, he's like carrying the torch for Peugeot owners I mean, in the United States. I see, I see like 505s and 505 turbos and diesels, which we did get. I mean, I learned this week from you that the Peugeot 504 was a New York City taxi for a time. Not which, just a little bit of them, like 1,400 of them. That's ultimately. a lot. Yeah. Were yeah. they manuals? I don't know. What I can tell you is that they were shit and not well liked by by cab drivers and customers because they were too small relative to the checkers. That you can't were... you can't fit a beaded seat cover in there and passengers. No, and it just you know it, it you, you ultimately gets well back that was back before you they would talk on the phone to whoever the hell they were talking to for hours. Yeah, end. that was pre yeah. pre cell phone pre cell phone. So, um, but you know Peugeot or Peugeot. Uh, as it's pronounced, uh, is Peugeot. Yeah, P U R G E O T. I mean, I guess there's also some funky Citroens, like you know, any Euro spec SMs and stuff. We got those here, but there was some cool stuff over there. And I want a Renault Espace. Renault Es. Well, why do you want a van? It's such a cool looking minivan. Like the Renault Espace. The um, am I thinking of the right car? I don't know, but I'm, what I'm telling you is that what you're, what you're describing to me, it's like, I really want to never have sex again. Um, so I'm going to buy this van, man. Um, is, are you, unless you're thinking of the Renault Avantime. The I'm two. thinking of the Avantime. Yeah. yeah, I didn't mean the uh, Spass. It's not Avantime, the... it is the Renault Avantime. That's which is, what I want. Which is a, a two-door with the same engine out of the Clio V6. Yeah, that's um, this in in that launch color, the blue. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like a yacht. You know, it's like a two-door minivan. And it's the only car that the original three Top Gear presenters could agree that they all liked. No, they liked the Subaru Legacy Outback. And they, they also liked they the... Mike the Outback. No, no, no. The first, like the one from like 2005, the one with the nice looking headlights. Well, James May is a um, lesbian, so that makes sense. Yeah, that... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll edit that out. No, it's not. No, he's no. not a lesbian. It's just the haircut. No, you can. You can. We'll keep that in. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, the there was that, and they also liked the Ford Mondeo. But you know, I could see some of the hot Fords. I think the first gen Focus RS from two thousand two four or something like that is a pretty cool car. It's very rally car. 
you know, Colin McRae was driving for them at the time, and I got to see some of his WRC cars, so those are pretty cool. How old is the Lotus Carlton now? That's 25. Lotus Carlton's eligible. It's yeah. 90, I still so haven't 92. seen one here. Um, a friend of a friend, Dave, uh, Dave Skullman, if you're listening, hello, um, who manages the Haggerty Garage slash Drive and Social in Van Nuys, has one. Okay. He has a he has a Lotus Carlton um, that was uh, I. I think it was from a friend of his. I would have expected yeah. some like rich person in Greenwich to have a Lotus. No, Carlton. no, no. Dave is a very humble guy. Uh, I, I know, I know of you know, him from yeah. opposite lock days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but um, you understood how that worked. I still don't. No, I'm kidding. Oh yeah, you just sign up for an account, then you like walk through this portal, then you you know give a token to the troll, and then you can post on. Opposite I just lock. never. I just yeah. I never. My fa- the best. I I had the best day ever when I got you know, cross-posted to the front page of Jalopnik one time. You did? Yeah. What'd you do? I don't know. Some stupid... I wrote some, like, dumb satire piece about the five types of car meets, and it got cross-posted to the front Why page. Why don't I remember this? God, you were, like, internet famous while I was, no, like, I was just around. No, I was just trying... I was just doing for free the job that I do now mm. that I'm paid for. <laughs> Little did I know. I saw you on the internet before I ever met you, so there you go. Who knows? Um, uh, anyway, uh, so, yeah, those are a few things. Lotus Carlton's another example, although I think those are going to get pricey, and they're also kind of... They're a weird car to me because the Carlton is unbelievably fast, 177 miles an hour. Famously, yeah. Z- ZR1 Corvette transmission. And famous controversy yeah. over the top speed because the British government didn't feel that, you know, commoners driving a four-seat, five-seat sedan, four doors, should have access to that kind of speed and performance. Oh, as, uh, which is only for landed gentry, mind you. As Jeremy Clarkson once said, I know enough. Leave me alone. And, <laughs> um, so uh, so I, I just, yeah, I, um, they're cool cars, but they're kind of, that's a very if you know, you know car. It's, it's you know, if you didn't know what you were looking at, it's just kind of like uh, obscure you know. Well, it's like an you know, it's like an M5. That was always the M5. Sure, but MO. without any of the badge snobbery or the or the notoriety. Well, it's a Lotus. I mean, to me, let's to talk a car about let's talk about the six guys who know what a Lotus is outside of this. Right, but like, yeah. let's assume you know we are there. The people who are as nerdy as we are, we're criminals. Are a, we're, no, well, we're in an echo chamber of nerdery. Right. So, like, within that, a Lotus Carlton has clout. But like, you know, you're obviously your average person doesn't care about a Lotus Carlton, but they don't care about an E34 M5 either. I would love to see Carlton from the Fresh Prince drive a Lotus Carlton. I think that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, really would have been a good brand activation if that was a thing back in 91. Literally the only other thing named Carlton in in the public eye at the same time. Uh, but at any rate, the other things, I don't know, England's probably got a lot of stuff. I wonder when TVRs are going to have their moment, kind of yeah. those funky, weird TVRs. I mean, we know a guy in Brooklyn who has a TVR Cerbera. Okay, but he's weird. I mean, he's a, he's a really nice guy. Andrew, if you're listening, love no, I'm kidding. Love he's your not Cerbera. weird because he has a, he, he's, he's not we, you're a weird guy. He's, you're saying he's an anomaly. He's an anomaly for owning a TVR. I know you a know. guy in LA who has six TVRs. Legally? Yes. Oh. I think. They lose I mean, a he's bet? All, he's, he's also British. I don't oh, want okay. to blow up his spot, but he has a bunch of TVRs. Um, he doesn't have any that have the, like, chroma flare paint. 
which I was going to really say, did he lose see. a bet? Is that why he has so many TBRs? No, but he ha- he has a Chimera, yeah, and a Cerbera, mm-hmm. and several other TBRs. For those who don't know, TBR is a British sports car company. It's stand- the initial the the letters of the name TBR are kind of an abbreviation of the founder's name, Trevor Wilkinson. Uh, TBR was founded in 1947, same year my parents were born. And I thought TVR stood for Built in the Shed. No, that would be Built in the Shed. That would be B-I-S. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, but anyway, or Bits. Or that bi- would be Bits. B-I-A-S. B-I-T-S. Built in the Shed. Um, but uh, TVRs were typically, initially, kit cars that you could buy whole or you could assemble yourself. Um, and then they kind of started making real well, cars. Well, if you buy it whole, you're going to have to reassemble it eventually when the bits fall off of it. Old so. Trevor finally figured out that people wanted the cars built and not have to build it. Um, and they were made of generally of other parts of other cars. So yeah. like a, you know, a brake booster from a Ford or an engine out of a Ford or something. It's not like they had a tremendous engineering budget. They had zero dollars. Yeah. At most times. But they've made some cool stuff. I mean, yeah. the, the... Um, eventually they did make their own engines but yeah the chimera was the chimera the one that had the v8 in it i mean uh, a lot of them had they had the chimera and the cerbera the cerbera i think had a v8 as well the cerbera was like the clean sheet design the chimera is the one that looks one of them's a no. coupe and one of them's a convertible <laughs> i'm because there's so, the ones some that of them had more a like v8, a then, then later the one, they, yeah i think the cerbera cerbera was the coupe and that had the V8 for sure. That had the flat plane crank AJ V8 or whatever they called it. The Speed 8 or something. No, Speed 6 was the straight yeah. 6. Yeah, the Cerbera is the one with the really long doors. Yeah, so even though it's quite... I've actually seen a Cerbera in person. It's quite small. I have too. I sat in one. It's very small. I sat in one. Um, the guy in LA has one. Yeah, so Mr. Uh, J- Mr. Uh, Mr. Bean. Um, so... Yeah, but and he's t- like six foot seven and somehow. I just wonder with TVRs, they're like so crazy. And yeah, so the Chimera is the little bit earlier one, and, and they and, made it almost yeah over five thousand of those. Yeah, and Cerbera and Chimera, both of the, all of them, right? All the TVRs, they're all hand built. They're all badly built, pretty much. Um, a lot I don't of, have much personal experience with them. But from what I can tell, they look pretty uh, rough. Um, <laughs> from one of the ones I've seen. Uh, I saw a Cerbera with a Rover V8, and that was, like, interesting. Um, no, I'm sorry. Chimera. 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 Yeah, that's that's yeah, the, the one in the red one in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've seen it in Detroit. I knew someone who had one, a right-hand drive. Because um, they did make them, I think, in left-hand Detroit, drive for Detroit, famously Europe. a great place for sports cars, where yes. there are zero corners anywhere in the metro area. I mean, if you work at the Proven Grounds, there's corners. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's true. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're weird cars. I think that their issue there is, like, awareness. Nobody really knows what they are Yeah. outside of Europe. And it's kind of like, they're also really dangerous and to me because they have no ABS. None of them had ABS. No airbags. These cars were made with no ABS and no airbags. Somehow got around, like, British, like, highway laws at the time when everything else... Must have else... just been because they were a small enough manufacturer in terms of volume. Manufacturer is such a loose term these days. Also, you know that Britain loves to give a pass to their own... Tiff you know, their own industry. Yeah. They'll, uh, they'll yeah. shrug it off. I think early Elises now are starting to become legal, right? So, speaking of England... Yeah. Right? And speaking of Lotus and brands that people, only six guys have heard we of. We saw a Series 1 Exige a few weeks ago. We did, an Exige Cup. Yeah, mm-hmm. we saw a Cup. 
that had an external power cutoff. So I thought that was crazy bananas. Yep. And yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, there's, there's, I'm trying to think about what other interesting European stuff that's going to be coming along that's like not stupid, super stupid in terms of price. Like, I don't know, what, what else is coming along? Well, at a, I mean, at a certain point, once you get into, like, once you hit, this is a, a, a ways off, yeah. but once you get to a certain point, you're going to have, like, all of the wagons that we didn't get here. Oh, like, yeah. you'll have AMG wagons, and you'll have C-class AMGs, wagons, yeah, yeah. And you'll have, yeah, C-class AMGs. You're going to have the RS6 Avants and RS4 Avants that were, like, pre- I mean, we're just starting to hit, like, B5, RS4 those Avants. Those RS6 Avants weren't very good, though. Well, I mean, it depends on your definition of good. Like, is it a sports car? No. Is it a great Autobahn cruiser or highway car? Sure. I mean, that's that's the niche that a fast wagon fills, so... Yeah, that's fair. That's you know, fair. That that's stuff fair. is at least, you know, interest. I would, I would be interested in... Not to buy necessarily, but like a B5 RS4 Avant, that's pretty cool. We did get the S4 here, and it's pretty easy to convert that mechanically, but it, it didn't have the flares and a few other things. So. All right. Well, it's all about the flare. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so there's that. I mean, I think, you know, German stuff is kind of easy to point at. I'd be curious about, like, uh, some cool, like, cheaper, more affordable Porsches. I think uh 944 turbo cabriolet i'm not a big cabriolet guy in 944s but i because it was kind of a european only thing it's kind of a funky i thought we got those no we no got we got the, the s2 cab um i, I mean it's kind of a funky interesting having motor. owned a 944 i think the s2 is a better car than the turbo sure arguably. but it's just the quirk of saying we never got this you know i sure. think that's kind of interesting and they're not going to be crazy priced. yeah i mean the 944 know. cabs were never interesting to me just because the signature thing of the 944 is that giant glass rear hatch and you lose that it's a relatively affordable fun to drive sporty sports car sure, but i just think buy it's... a c5 corvette at that point you know the, the 944 weighs like 2600 pounds versus... yeah and the c5 is like 29 3000 okay okay haas know. okay I'm captain, I'm captain america here but like you know cap uh captain um captain the, i america. mean the, <laughs> yeah the Okay, See, the, the 944, especially as a convertible, just, yeah. I don't, like the S2 coupe, cool, like a turbo I'm arguing coupe, cool. that for someone who's looking, I think it's a fun car to import on a budget. I think it'd be like 15, 20 grand. I think it's... You're not getting it for 15, 20. I mean, a nice a, a 944, cab? a nice 944 turbo these days is like 25. But the cab is less desirable. Well, if you're importing it and you're going through all that BS, that's going right, to have like 10 grand, to the, 10 grand to the price wind. tag. Yeah, I mean, at that a... point, like, let's call it 30 grand. I've I got think... it. Mitsuoka Orochi. <laughs> I don't even know which one that, that is. That is like the weird coupe one that's got a mouth like a fish. They all have mouths like fish. No, no. It's not the one that looks like a 60s Jaguar. It's they all the... look like old British No, this cars. one doesn't. This is not the one where they added two feet to a Miata. Okay. So... Okay. Uh, no, uh, but you know, I think that's some funky, weird stuff. I think, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of like interesting, like, um, I don't know what the, what the heck is like Italian stuff. There's gotta be some interesting and unusual Italian stuff. That's going to be like launch a Thema 832s. I don't know what they're worth, but they're kind of weird and funky. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, like a Monte Carlo SS out of Italy because <laughs> it's front wheel drive V8. Um, I have a weird hankering for an alfa romeo brera 
I know that they were not the best to drive. It also had the GM high feature V6, not the Busso. That so. didn't have okay, okay. That did that makes it a little less attractive. Yeah. Um, but I mean, talk about a car that drive. just looks like a concept car. Oh yeah. Like that thing is a real piece of design. I mean, I give Alpha credit because Centra Stile is pretty talented, but that was, I think, one of the last Alphas designed by Pininfarina, mm-hmm. which was pretty impressive. Um, unfortunately, it's quite a heavy car when you like put the V6 and all-wheel drive in it. Yeah, it's like 3,600 pounds, it's, isn't it? It's kind of unfortunate, but boy, is it gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. Um, and, you know, it was 250 horsepower, so it wasn't that slow, but boy, what a pretty car. I mean, that, um, yeah, that's a really, a really nice-looking car. What else? 155 quadrifolios are good too. They're they're like a high revving four cylinder or a, or a small Busso and all wheel drive. So th- I think there's something like 180 to 220 horsepower. Or something. What like was that. Alpha's obsession with all wheel drive in the early? Well, 2000s? I mean, it was it was re- no the 155 was the 90s. Yeah. Um, and that was also the one they made like the touring car off of. So that was pretty pretty successful in racing. Not the prettiest thing, but still impressive nonetheless. It's like Italy isn't traditionally known for being like a hub of it's because you know the ix of bmws were big formatic had kind of become popular with mercedes sure. in the mid 90s but germany is a cold and damp country italy yes, alpha is like sells warm and northern italy gets pretty snowy in the winter yeah in the alps if you're if you're in the alps sure and yeah ferrara and like the ski regions and stuff yeah uh also just i thought ferrara was just how they pronounce ferrari in uh, florida Got a Ferrara, Lamborghini. Do I have to edit this out? I'm going to edit Theoda. this part out, you dingus. Well, I'm anyway. the one who edits it, so you're screwed. Okay, Mingus. Anyway, um... Mingus? Am I, am I a jazz musician No, now? Mingus is the guy who makes the carpets. Remember, he makes the rugs. It's Zuckerman's head. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought you were comparing me to Charles Mingus, which no, I'll no, take, no. by the way. No, that's fine. I'm Whatever. nowhere near as musical. No, if I was calling you a jazz musician, I'd call you Thelonious. Uh, Thelonious Monk. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So at any rate, so there, there's some funky stuff. I think there's some, um, you know, Fiat uh, uh, coupe turbos are now twenty valve turbos. That's like a two hundred twenty horsepower five cylinder turbo Fiat, which is kind of funky designed by. What Chris. was the origin of that engine? I don't know, but what I can tell you is that it's relatively interesting looking, designed by Chris Bangle, oh. of BMW fame. And, pre uh, BMW, pre BMW, yeah, and uh, funky car, zero to sixty in like high sixes, low sevens. Nice car, fast for what it was. Sure, you know, Fiat Barchetta is another one that's kind of funky looking and handsome. Kind of weird that it's front wheel drive, but kind of interesting. Um, typical Fiat trying to do the most with the least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I'm trying to think what else was there. You know, I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of what I think about when I think about what's available. Manual quadrifolios would be a future, a future classic in like well, 2040. Yeah, let's, 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 <laughs> like, not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, here. in like 2042, sure. But you know, what about anyway. the what about like the MG stuff from the early 2000s? Do we see any of what, that? Like the being MGF. I guess the MGF, but. I always feel like MG is a brand for people with beards. And my friend Austin, who I just spoke with yesterday, who you may know from AC Solutions, uh, if you have a vintage BMW and soon vintage Porsche, go buy his stuff because he's the only one making complete replacement kits. Uh, I'll allow it. We want to have him on, by the way. He's a good guy. Um, We'll have him on in the future. But, you know, his dad is like an old British car guy. And I just think of, like, people with mgs is having beards i mean you know i'm a fan of the old british stuff and i think the the 
beard factor could play out to their advantage because, you know, hipsters need cars too. Hipsters are car enthusiasts too. I don't know. I thought they rode fixies everywhere. I mean, have you seen the classic car scene in Brooklyn? Another topic for a future That's episode. another topic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Spirit RT Turbo. No, I'm kidding. Um, Indeed. No. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's some, you know, MG stuff could be interesting. MGFs. MG ZT 260, which is a Rover 75 with a Mustang V8 in it. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I think it was the ZT. It might be the Z. That's the sedan. That's the big the sedan. V8. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. With the four six mod motor, which is kind of strange. It is bizarre. My friend Alex is like, hell yeah, brother. Um, but it's a kind of a weird car. Rover seventy five. I don't see anyone importing a BMW developed oh, Rover. Oh, we can start importing like Holden GM Utes. Oh yeah, Holden 2000s. Utes. Holden Utes. Although, like, those are like the ones that look like a Katerra in front, and they're not good. Yeah, <laughs> like, give, it, give it a few years, and we'll get like the Pontiac G eight ones. Yeah, yeah. It's like by twenty thirty, I think we should be able to start importing well, like the good ones. Well, like the GTO stuff. GTO, like. All that Holden stuff, like the the Utes, the the yeah. Anytime that you have a GM V8 unibody like truck, like that that's gonna be good. I think so. It's not it's a gonna truck. be a good time. It's not a truck. It's just a car with no back. It's a car it. with a bed. Yeah. 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 Right. A unibody truck. Whatever. Right. You know. Potato. Potato. All right. Uh, and then I don't know. I think that's kind of that's kind of some of the good stuff. I mean, Australia. Do they what does Antarctica have to offer? Oh, what about Ford Falcons? Those are interesting. The British, the Australian Falcons. They're straight six. Some of them oh, yeah. came with like big turbos. Some had like super. You could get a supercharged Coyote in the Falcon. Yeah. What's or, what's the origin of that engine of the straight six? The Barra. I think it was a. I I want to say it was it had an origin in the Falcon sixties engine, but not like. It's not the same engine. No. Like they kept developing. Not that the car. not the famous Ford one seventy. The one seventy and the two hundred. Yeah, I think it like started life as that, uh, and then as time went on, obviously it's an all new generation. Like there's not they don't share shit with the original. No. Um, are we gonna get an ex an expletive thing for that? Like a you know like whatever to not not a clean. I did pot. a vi- I did a sound of a revving engine over one of my swear words. Oh, okay. Last. It episode. should just go I caramba. No. Um. So. Oh, Maron. Uh, no, no. So anyway, the 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 Falcon, um, that engine kind of was a development of that. They sold them; they were reliable, and so they just kind of Ford Australia operated in like a weird alternate universe yeah. of Ford America, and just kept developing this crazy straight six. And I think eventually they got like four hundred plus horsepower. I mean, from I the know factory. those are like cult classics down there. Well, like, they also tune the hell out of them. They can yeah. make big power. Um, all right that's there's, fucking fast there's some youtube guy in the u.s who has uh, adam something or other adam lz lz has one in a mustang um but it seems from what i've seen the car is undrivable <laughs> so um but well, yeah that's youtube yeah 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 i gotta keep up with them joneses um and then uh uh that's really about it from australia that i can think of so these are some of the things that i think will be no, but cult classics, but they'll be interesting, and I still think they're not going to really pop in value because they made a lot of them. Right. Right? It wasn't like they made, like, two Holden whatevers, or, you know, like, they made... These were yeah. mass-produced. I mean, a lot of them were used up, but also Australia doesn't really have rust, so... Australia doesn't... Yeah, I mean, it's weird they don't that... don't see snow it's in weird most that, parts of the country. And in many ways, Australia's kind of like us, but they have many more rules. So, yeah. 
So, which is surprising about the modification of cars. So it's very hard to modify cars there. And if you hit a kangaroo, you have to check the pouch to make sure there is no baby. Is that a real law? Yes. Yes. I'm getting way off track here, but Australia, kangaroos are basically like deer. My fiance spent some time living in Australia, um, like six months. She studied abroad there. But in Australia kangaroos are like deer they're running around they become roadkill because people hit them you know the but i'll go ahead you have to check the pouch for a baby if you hit a kangaroo because the baby then has to be taken to like a rehabilitation facility where that baby can then you know grow up into a an adult um because without if the baby was just kind of left there in the pouch it can't fend for itself well instead of the old i digress instead of the old australian phrase that dingo ate my baby that uh, it's more like that Holden hit my baby. Dingo! Oh. Um, so, uh, Well, yeah. dingoes are wild dogs, so that's a whole other topic. Whatever. But... Work with me here. Whatever. Right. What is a baby <laughs> kangaroo called? A, a joey. A joey. Right. Sheila. Um, so... <laughs> that's also what an Italian child is called. Oh, joey, God. come over here. Yeah, say that in Diker Heights. Anyway, um... Well, with that said, we're going to close out the podcast here since we're blabbing and babbling a little bit. Yeah, what other areas haven't we covered? South America, not a ton. What, you want some of those Uruguay Chevrolets that were abandoned there? The land? Yeah. uh, Actually, no, here's a fun one from Mexico. The Ram Charger, which is a two-wheel drive. It's a Ram 1500 with a cap on the back, basically, like a roof structure. Didn't Zuckerman drive one of those down to Mexico? No. He talked about it on the podcast. He drove like a, like a U.S. Ram the Charger. The Ram Charger, yeah. But in, in Mexico, they kept making them well past after the U.S. did. But it was like off of the 94 plus Rams, like oh, the newer okay. gen Rams. It's got the taillights from a from a minivan, like a, like a, like a first gen Durango. Okay. Um, but it's huge. It's a big body on frame thing. You know, because the closest we ever got to something like that was the first gen Durango. Um but it's, it's a big old thing. You yeah. Know? It was kind of a continuation of like the 80s Ram charges, but they only sold them in Mexico. Hmm. If you're really interested, you could also get a third gen Lincoln Mark LT, which was never sold here, which is an F-150 with a grill change. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so there's some fun things. That's from Mexico. Quite, quite fun. I don't know. What else can you get? A Nissan, Antarctica? Nissan. There's nothing there. Penguins. Um, so, <laughs> so far as you know, yeah, penguins and maybe like an ice base or something. Well, know. there, there is the amphibious vehicle that was lost on Antarctica, but we're not importing that. Russia? No, I'm kidding. No, the, no. the snow, the snow crawler. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Russia. I don't think we want much. Nobody from wants Russia. from that. No, the steel is very thick. Um, and uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's a country I'm missing that's terrible. Canada doesn't really get any... Uh, uh, they get, Israel? Any Israeli cars? You, yes, there actually is an Israeli car. The Sabra. Um, was oh, it, like the hummus. No, no, not like the hummus. It was a... It was a I think it was based on a Triumph or something. Uh, Sabra. Clearly Israeli a Triumph of engineering. And you're going to hear me typing. I'm sorry. Uh, Israeli car. Here we go. This is terrible. This is like live radio. Yes, the oh, Sabra Sport car. 4. It was a sports car that kind of looked like a Saab Sonnet. It has <laughs> so, a really long nose, and it has like two proboscis on the front. I think the it back was looks a, like a 53 Corvette. Wasn't it based on a Reliant? Yes. 
The engineering and frame was by Reliant, so I think it was related to like a Reliant Regal or Scimitar or something. Scimitar. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It had Alfa Romeo taillights, supposedly. Um, yeah, the back looks like a shrunken down 50s Corvette. The front looks like a Ferrari 250TR. And the rear is kind of vaguely 50s Alfa Giulietta. It's not an attractive car, I'm no. honest with you. It's a weird mix. The, it kind of looks like a... The proportions are bad. The proportions are bad, and the front looks like a Saab Sonnet. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 not a very good car. There were... Uh, the first hundred of them were built in the in England. Uh, some were exported to the U.S. It never actually got to Israel. I th- oh, no, I'm sorry. Okay, never mind. They made 100 in England and then sent some to the U.S., sold some there. And then 48 of them were sent as kits to Haifa to be reassembled in Haifa. And then the next 58 were sold in Haifa. So they didn't make many of them. Um, And then Reliant sold their version as the Sabre. So this was the Reliant Sabre, also known as the Sabra. So to date, it is the only Israeli-branded car ever built. So if you find a Sabra Sport 4, God bless. (laughs) And if you don't find one, just pick up a... A tin of hummus. I was going to say, just walk away, walk away. So with that said, uh, that's all I got for this week's episode. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything else to share. Yeah, we'll be back uh, next week, hopefully, to talk about New York City car culture, the interesting beast that it is. And our first podcast with special guests. So more to be revealed next week. Until then, enjoy, and we'll see you guys then. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.